Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Indeed, morning has broken, and God is recreating as He recreates and as He renews and redeems the whole world. It is in the confidence of that redeeming and renewing God that we gather as God's children, whether here in person at the village church or virtually online from wherever we happen to be in the world. So, welcome. Let us be called to worship as we read responsively then from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Friends, let us worship our Creator, God. to confession with a glad heart. It is God our maker, God our redeemer, and God our sustainer 
who invites us into the newness of a forgiven life. Let's go to God in confession together. Holy Creator, we confess and acknowledge that you created us in your own image and likeness, so that in our whole nature no imperfection could be found. From this dignity and perfection, man and woman have fallen, both conspiring against your sovereign majesty. We have shown ourselves hostile to you and have made ourselves servants to sin. And thus, everlasting death has power and dominion over us all, unless we are reborn from above. By the power of the Holy Spirit, work this rebirth in us, creating in our hearts the confidence of chosen ones, with assured faith in your promise revealed to us in your word. By this faith we grasp Christ Jesus with the graces and blessings promised in him. Amen. Live as a new creation born of the Spirit, because I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. peace of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we'd like to excuse our fifth graders and under to their Sunday school classes. And if we have any youth with us, our youth group is meeting in the youth room right now. So let's turn and greet each other with a good morning and peace of Christ. It is so nice seeing all of you being nice to each other. That's just a good thing. <laughs> it doesn't happen everywhere in the world all the time, so it's a great thing. Friends, let me share with you just a bit of news about what's going on in the life of the church. It is an ever-changing, ever-flowing, ever-fluxing sort of thing. First of all, I'll remind you that the send-off concert for the tour group from the choir that's going to Ireland has been postponed. 
we've had uh, a bit of an outbreak of COVID among those who sing because actually singing is one of the most dangerous things you can do <laughs> among other people. And so that we can ensure the integrity of the group uh, in terms of health and so that we can make sure that everybody gets to go to Ireland and take the gospel there. You'll hear more about that later. Um, we are not having the concert uh, this afternoon. And you might have noticed that the folks behind me are wearing masks for that reason of making sure everything is copacetic. And there are a few things that about the music, especially today, that are not going to be what's listed in the bulletin. And I realize half of you don't read the bulletin anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who do, for those of you who do, just hang on tight. We're going to get through it all. On other news, uh, we're having a baby shower here at the church today, and then next week you may bring uh, items that babies need, and I'll let you decide what that is. There's a list in our different publications. Uh, if you didn't bring anything today, bring some things next week, put them in the baby cribs, and our youth group is going to be taking them down to New Day and having a baby shower for some of the young mothers down there. The Branch Barbecue is coming up this Saturday. That's at Ventura Cove Park down on Mission Bay. And we're going to be serving food to the homeless. If you've never been part of that experience, it happens always the fourth Saturday of the month, except in December when it happens on Christmas Day. If you'd like to learn more about the Branch Barbecue, uh, give us a call this week. And then I'll remind you as well that our Vacation Bible School program is the week of June 19th, which is not very far from now. It's time to register your children and time to register your interest in helping out if you're interested in being part of that very, very special experience. Well, now I'd like to invite Gretchen to come forward. Gretchen, are you in the room? There she is. Good, good. So as many of you know, we've been going through some staff transitions here at the church, and as always, God is bringing new people to serve in ministry among us. And one of the key ministries for us is our missions ministry. We are involved in many different things locally as well as internationally, and it takes someone who is giving particular attention to that ministry to help organize and orchestrate all of your work and your effort in missions. And so I'm happy to tell you today uh, that God has brought brought one of our very own into a new place in life and into a new place in ministry. And our own Gretchen Scruggs is going to be our new director of missions starting the last day of this month, I think. So you're here purely as a volunteer again today. So Gretchen, tell us a little bit about your history and experience and why you're interested in this work. First, I'm going to say the reason I was sitting in the back of the church is I was still at the mission table and realized that church had started. So. <laughs> Um, I've been on the Mission Commission since about 2010. I made my first trip to Kenya in 2008. I have uh, done about 20 mission trips with the church that have gone outside of the country and many others within our with our local um, mission partners. My original background education is in accounting, but I have a passion for travel and cultures and helping others. So that's what's led me to missions. That's great. Well, Gretchen, we're happy to welcome you into this work. Every single person out there wants to get more involved with missions. I'm certain of it. You may not know that yet, but God told me that you are. So we're looking forward to your ministry and work among us. Thanks for coming up and let us say hello. One of the ways that we participate in what God is doing in the world 
is by involving ourselves and giving ourselves in so many different ways. To symbolize that, to signify that, to reinforce that idea, every opportunity we have in worship is an opportunity to learn and to give, but especially we have the opportunity now to bring to God our tithes and our offerings as a way of helping financially in the work and ministry of Christ in the church. I'm told that we have about four ushers with us today, and so some of you may need to help pass the basket to the people in the pew behind you. That might be a good way to meet the people in the pew behind you, for heaven's sake. So, as the ushers come and wait upon us, we will present to God our tithes and our offerings. Find me. 
seated. How blessed we are that God has called us together as a community to be here, to worship, to listen, to be challenged, to respond, all of those things. And most of all, that God has seen fit to love us so deeply that he would invite us to come to be in his presence any time and any place. Let's go to God in prayer. In your presence, O oh God, and in the company of your good saints, we offer you our praise and our thanksgiving for life and for calling, for the joys of friendship and for the burden of faith. And as we sit amid your many mercies, Lord, we are mindful of so many of our brothers and sisters who dwell in places short of mercy, absent of justice, defaulted on the gifts of life, places that are marked by shadows and the terrors that crawl out in the dark to mark and destroy, children whose monsters are real and without regard to their innocence. Lord, we could go on and recite the grocery list of needful people and violent places, of unfolding tragedy and utter despair, but you know all these places. You are already there attending. You have heard their cries and your heart is shattered in the knowing. And we have felt the impact of your divine trauma and we too have come to know. As you know them and we know them, we pledge in this company to remember those among us in these brutal places and take as our call from you to walk with them and provide for them as they are our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, they are our children. Lord, sometimes we feel that we are so poorly equipped for such a call, but you are the God who gives bread and wine and table and towel and book and song, and with them comes courage, freedom, and energy for the task to which we are unequal, yet you walk with us and lift us to that point that we might give. So sign us on and bless your church, O oh God. Bless the ones who serve lunches down at the bay, who build wells that give life-giving water to faraway places in drought. Bless your church, our youth who serve sandwiches and, and are so generous with their sweet company to the hungry and hurting neighbors, for those who shop for baby necessities, from diapers to tiny t-shirts and formula, to give away to others who are in need, for those who minister to military families, for our shepherds who pray for their flocks, for those who deliver meals and a kind word of love and healing. God, we pray that you would bless all the faithful in places harder than our own. Keep us simple and on task, and we will praise you by our glad obedience. Catch us up this day into the reality of your good purpose, that by the time we leave each other, we will know yet again that your mercy and your justice and your compassion 
outrun all the needs of this great, big, hard, and soft world. These things we pray in the name of the living Savior, who taught us when praying to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
We want to take a brief opportunity in our worship to send our tour choir over to the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Most of the group is leaving Thursday morning. We'll return on June 5th. But I thought you'd like to hear a little bit about the tour and the reasons for it. So Juan Carlos is going to share with us. Clearly, I'm a bit biased. I feel like we have a pretty wonderful group. Wouldn't you agree? Indeed. In the past eight years that I've been with the church, which is hard to believe it's been really that long, uh, I've just seen this group grow as a musical ensemble as well as a community. So when we go into Ireland, we go there uh, with many purposes, to share this beautiful music, to share the word of God, to be part of their community as well as ours. We'll be worshiping in two different Presbyterian churches and singing in three different Anglican churches while we are there. And really the whole purpose is to share the love and fellowship of Jesus Christ through our music and through our presence. So that is the ambition of this trip. And we are just so grateful to be able to be able to go in the midst of everything that has happened in the last week and the last three years. Uh, it is truly a blessing. So we thank you for your support and your encouragement and your prayers. Thank you, Juan. I know that some folks in the tour choir are coming from other choirs, other places around San Diego. We're happy to have them. Some of our own choir folks are not able to go. Many of them are. Some of you I recognize even through those black masks. How many of you are in the tour choir that's going to be going? Would you hold up your hands? Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Cole Tornberg, by the way, thanks for sharing with us this morning. Cole is our new tenor section leader and solo as of a couple of months ago. As a baritone, it's really hard for me to give any credit at all to a tenor, but he's so good. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Let's have a word of prayer together. God, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity that you give us of creating beautiful music, of listening to beautiful music, all to share our joy, our faith, our hope in you. May you bless all those who are going on the trip, both those who are singing and others who are going as well. Give them health, give them joy and enthusiasm. Bless all that they say and do so that our hearts are touched and so that others' hearts are touched. Perhaps someone for the first time hearing the gospel spoken to them in a new way that speaks into their hearts. May all of this glorify you. May you be with the congregation back here at home. And may you be with your people everywhere as we sing your praises. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. Then God said... Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now a reading from the letter to the Romans. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And here is a reading from the book of James. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Early one Sunday morning, a mother went upstairs to her adult son's bedroom. His alarm clock was ringing, but he wasn't waking up. And so she tapped politely on the door and called in and said, Son, you have to wake up to go to church. And voice came from the other side of the door, said, Mom, I don't want to go to church. And so she went back downstairs for a few minutes, and not long after, she heard the alarm going off again. And so she went back upstairs and knocked on the door a little bit louder and then opened the door just a bit. And she said, son, it's time to wake up. You have to go to church. And the son peeked out from under the covers and said, mom, I just don't feel like going to church. And so she went back 
downstairs again and started making breakfast and listening for some sort of activity upstairs, but she heard nothing until she heard the alarm clock going off for the third time. And so this time, with her patience being tested just a bit, she stormed up the stairs and flung the door open and said, son, it's time to wake up. You have to go to church. And the young man said, Mom, I don't want to go to church. But she said, Son, you have to wake up and go to church. You're the pastor, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) I know you're thinking this is a true story. It is not. (laughs) My home didn't have stairs, Juan. What motivates you to do what you should do? We are still thinking together on Sunday mornings about doing what we know we should do, doing what we want to do, doing what we believe God has called us to do. But what is the motivation for all of that? What will actually make us wake up <laughs> and get up and get going? In particular, we are thinking about how we can live in the way that God made us to live. That's what we want to do when we have faith. We want to answer that ancient call of the prophet Micah when he said, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. We want to do what all of the scriptures say to do and what Jesus himself reaffirmed that that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We want to live righteously, justly, lovingly, kindly, faithfully, hopefully. We want to live in such a way that everything works the way that God designed it to work because we believe that nothing can work unless it works the way God made it to work. And we want that to happen. We want that to happen in ourselves, in our families, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our little villages, in our towns, in our cities, in our states, in our countries. We'd love it to work all the way around the world. Why don't we just make it work? We know that's what we want. What then can motivate us? What can wake us up and shake us up and make us get out of bed every morning of the week and go about the business of living the life that God made for us? Motivation becomes an issue and a question and a problem in everything in life, actually. There is not a one of us here who has always done what we wanted to do. Is there? Can we not say with Paul, sometimes the 
good that I would do, I don't do, and the evil that I don't want to do, I do. So we need to examine this topic a bit more as we think more about how to live righteously, how to live justly in the way that God made us to live. And I think we need to think about what motivation actually is. Now, I start with a presumption for myself. <laughs> I'm better to myself than I am to the rest of you all, truth be told. But I think that, that really all of us want to do the right thing, the good thing, the helpful and productive thing. And oftentimes we do that. But why? Well, we do because it's good for us. We do because it's good for others. We want to, to do the right thing, especially for others whom we love. We want to do the right thing so that we'll be happy with ourselves and so that others will be happy with us and maybe even God will be happy with us. But there are all sorts of things that get in the way, are there not? Let me give you a little list of what prevents us from doing the right thing. The first on my list is ignorance. Sometimes we don't know what the right thing is. Sometimes we're doing the wrong thing and we think it's the right thing, but somebody needs to tell us it's the wrong thing and teach us how to do the right thing. We can be ignorant of what the right thing is to do, or we can be ignorant of how to do the good thing that we want to do. And so we need to learn more and study more and, and have the support and encouragement of a community to teach us. Sometimes, sometimes it's not ignorance. Sometimes it's just laziness. Anybody here ever been lazy? Do you realize that all the people that are not here this morning might not be here just because they were too lazy to get up and get out of bed? And if any of you repeat what I just said, it, let's just keep that to ourselves, shall we? <laughs> right? It's always easier to do something else, it seems, than to do the right thing. Sometimes we're just too lazy. Sometimes we don't care. We're just apathetic. Sometimes we run out of steam, we run out of energy, we run out of love and patience and all the stuff that it takes to do the right thing. And, and we just get apathetic about it all. We say, well, I've done all I can do. I don't care anymore. Sometimes we're depressed. Now, depression, of course, can be a mental issue for us, a physical issue for us, a spiritual issue for us. We can be beaten down by life and we get depressed. Sometimes in our depression or even without depression, we become hopeless. I wish I had a nickel for every time someone said, Jack, why do you bother? And then I have to ask them, well, what do you mean by that? Why do I bother what? Why do you bother to try to encourage people to do better, to be better? We haven't gotten any better in the many, many millennia that we've lived on the face of the planet. And I say, well, that's not true. And as a matter of fact, by the way, I still have hope, even though, truth be told, sometimes I'm tempted to give up hope. And we all are. 
We're not convinced that it's worth the battle anymore or that we can make a difference anymore. And it's just not in us. Another thing that demotivates us, if you will, is our hatred. And that hatred begins with self-hatred. There is not a one of us here who has not at times hated ourselves. We hate ourselves when we do the wrong thing. We hate ourselves when we don't do the right thing. We hate ourselves for all kinds of reasons, most of which are terrible reasons to hate ourselves. But we hate ourselves and we find it all too easy to hate other people. Maybe the biggest factor, the major thing that gets in our way of doing the good that we know we want to do is simple fear. Fear. What will it feel like if we start to act differently? Maybe it won't turn out the way that we want it to turn out. Maybe we will be misunderstood. Maybe there will be people who don't like what we're doing when we're trying to live according to the way that God taught us to live. So we're afraid of what could go wrong. We're afraid of the opinions and thoughts of other people. We're afraid of going against the flow. We're afraid of thousands of things. But the bottom line is we're just afraid. We're afraid to get out of the boat and walk on the water, aren't we? I'm sure that you can come up with many other things to say about what motivates us and especially what demotivates us, what stands in the way of our being and doing who we want to be and what we want to do. So please add to that list and let me know what those things are. It's important, though, that we're honest about it, isn't it? It's important that we're honest, first of all, with ourselves, (laughs) and then, as we can, honest with each other about how we're doing well. Sometimes we need to be honest and say to someone, that was phenomenal, that was wonderful. We need to give them encouragement and support and appreciation. Some of us are afraid to do that because we think it will make us look worse. I had to overcome that fear when I said to a tenor, for heaven's sakes, that you did a great job. (laughs) We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with each other. What is the thing that can motivate us, that can move us, to be righteous in ourselves and in our lives. Well, not surprisingly, the scriptures have something to say about that, and I want to mention three important scriptures that you already know, but I want us to think about them in terms of what they mean about living a righteous, holy, just life. Before I do that, I need to tell you that much of what I've been speaking about In these last few sermons that Jan has been speaking about and that we'll continue to use, much of what we've been talking about has been summarized in a beautiful way in a magnificent little book called Generous Justice. It is a book that's written by one of the more conservative pastors and theologians of our day who just this past Friday went to be with 
our Savior, his Savior and yours and mine. The Reverend Dr. Tim Keller, at the age of 72, died of pancreatic cancer in New York City, where he had been the pastor of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church and the leader of a movement that founded many other churches around the world. Tim and I did not always agree eye to eye theologically with each other, but truth be told, there's nobody in the world that I agree with theologically all the time. In fact, I don't agree with myself theologically all the time because I'm still growing and learning. And if you're not, then we have a problem we need to talk about. Well, Tim wrote over 30 books And I just want to say a word of appreciation to him for all that he has done and encourage all of us to say a word of prayer and thanksgiving for his life and also ask the Lord to surround his family and those who love him so much. Tim made the point in his book that as far as he's concerned, there are two primary scriptural motivating factors for our choosing to do the right thing for being righteous. And the first one has to do with something that we learn from the very, very opening phrases of the Scriptures as we hear about what God was doing when God made us. Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Almost everything that you can learn from the scriptures about the truth of God can be tied back to this fundamental affirmation that when God made us, He made us in some sense to be like him. No, we are not God. Never, ever think that. But God made us to be like him. He created us in his image, the imago dei, we call it. That's just image of God in different language. If you want to impress people, though, use that phrase at lunch today after church while you're serving roast preacher say, well, what I think about the Imago Dei is this, right? And if the people weren't here in church, they'll be impressed with you. The image of God. All human beings have God built into them. Therefore, all human beings are of infinite worth. All human beings have the potential for doing great things, for being great people. All people have a purpose for their lives that's intended by God. That's the positive way to say it. The negative way to say it is this. No one is worth less. No one is hopeless. No one is useless. If we believe that, it will shape and probably change and certainly develop and deepen the way that we treat each other. Fundamentally, that's what the business of being righteous and just is all about. It's about the question of how we treat each other. Interestingly, one of the things that 
we have learned from history, in those moments when we have been the most unrighteous, the most unjust, are the times that we sometimes describe as when we are the most inhumane to each other. Adolf Hitler and those who followed him knew that all too well. They knew that if you're going to convince a population of one kind of people to kill another kind of people, that the first thing you had to do was convince that first group that the second group actually were less than human. It's called dehumanizing. In this country, when at times we embarked on campaigns of exterminating the people who were already here when so many of the rest of us got here, or when we embarked on a campaign of bringing folks over here to serve us, it was important that we dehumanize them, that we convinced ourselves that they were less than human. That's called dehumanizing. That means we take away that image of God that was created into them. It's a simple process, but we all do it all the time. When we can learn to actually believe and act upon the affirmation of Scripture that God makes every single human being in his image, then we can begin to find the motivation for treating them that way. And interestingly, that process, that dynamic, actually comes back to us. So much of what is wrong with us is wrong because we don't believe that God loves us. We don't believe that we can do something good in the world. We don't believe that we're worthy of anyone's love. We dehumanize ourselves. Also, interestingly, when we treat someone else as if they are not human, that makes us less human. Read the interviews that were held after the Second World War with the Nazi guards who stood watch over those who would be exterminated. Something in them was being exterminated as well. When we live life from the conviction of the image of God that's built into other people, we live life in the way that God made us to live. There is another fundamental scriptural truth, in other words, a truth about God and us, that helps motivate us to live the lives that we're called to live. And that takes us into an understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I want to read a portion of that Romans passage for us again with a little bit of emphasis on some of the words. Paul says, there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified, huh, made just by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. God did this to show God's righteousness, ha, ah, 
righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Well, that's a classic statement of Paul's that needs about 82 sermons actually to describe everything he's talking about there. But what is he talking about? Paul says that God is righteous, God is just, God always does the right thing, and the most right, most just thing that God ever did not only was to make us in his image, but to come and work on restoring that image in us by dying for us. We have gone so far astray We have become so confused, so hardened by hatred, so blinded by fear that God has to do something drastic. (laughs) And the most drastic thing that the eternal living God could do was to choose to die. I know it doesn't make any logical sense, but it makes all the spiritual sense in the world. In God's righteousness, God paid the penalty for our sin. God suffered the consequence of our imperfection. God took it all on himself so that he could live again for us and prove to us that he's right. Right about us, right about others, right about life, right about the way we are meant to live. That is God's righteousness. And because of that, if we can believe it, and we say we do, then we can live with incredible gratitude and joy and strength in our hearts. If we truly believe that God died for us, then we can give ourselves to God and continue to learn to live as God made us to live. If we truly believe that God died for us, let's take that apart a little bit. If God died for me and God died for you and God died for everyone, then why can't we treat everyone righteously? You see the motivation for taking all those baby steps forward that we need to take come out of our conviction and belief that God is about the business of redeeming the whole world through what he has done in Jesus Christ. But there's one more problem. Do we really believe it? James famously said that faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. To the extent that we do not believe that God died for us and for others, then we do not live righteously. To the extent that we do not believe that God's image is built into us and built into others, then we do not live righteously and justly. And so there we have it the call and claim of God upon our lives to continue to grow in our faith. It's a privilege that you and I have, a privilege that we take so often and a privilege sometimes that we deny. But there it is. There it is. I want you to go home today thinking about 
Why? Why? Why do you decide to do the right thing? And then think about why sometimes you decide not. And then come back to these foundational truths of who God is and who we are. And let's keep moving forward. Amen. Friends, we have heard the word preached. It has challenged our hearts. And let's stand together now and affirm our faith as one voice and one body. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life.
I read not long ago this prayer that I've seen many times before, but that still moves and motivates me and might also you. God, grant that the heat in my heart will melt the lead in my feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and always. Amen.